Well, good morning. And as we look at part one of God's unfolding his glorious plan of salvation, I'm going to start by reading out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And it says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord's people and make them prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things have taken place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Amen. So we're introduced to this couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. An elderly couple, upright before the Lord, blameless, following his commands, but barren, not having children. And I will tell you, in first century culture, that was looked upon not as a tragedy, but as a curse. And here you had people faithfully waiting for God. And these were days that were dark for Israel. 
If you look at their history, they'd suffered captivity, they had suffered persecution, and they were now under occupation by a foreign Roman military, and God had not spoken to them for over 400 years. But yet they remain faithful and believe. And so Zechariah is in the temple. He's offering incense. And he knows stories of how God has given children to barren people. He knows the story of Abraham and Sarah. He knows the story of how Samuel came about. He celebrates Isaac. And you know that somewhere probably he and Elizabeth were going, but why not us? And so as his division goes, he's chosen by lot, kind of a lifetime chance to go into the holy place and burn the incense, which is a symbol of prayer going up to heaven. And the people are outside at that hour praying, and Gabriel appears to him, and in typical angel fashion, the first thing he has to say is, don't be afraid, because angels are terrifying. And Zechariah, you know, is having a conversation with Gabriel, the angel, and he says to him, your prayers have been answered. So people have been praying for Messiah. They've been praying for deliverance. I get the idea. I love it. As Brady and I have talked over these passages, that you get the sense that probably a prayer that Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed for a long time was for a child. But they had probably quit praying that prayer because it seemed like it's never going to happen and we're old and we will just settle for what our lot is. But Gabriel comes and says, your prayer is answered. Because we serve a God whose timing sometimes doesn't make sense to us but does the impossible. Who is the ever one who does and fulfills and is faithful and so from the promises that he said about in the garden when he covered Adam and Eve and cloth when he promised Abraham that all the world would be blessed through him he comes and he continues to fill, fulfill these promises and so he gives Zechariah some instructions and some promises and he says your child will be named John and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to wisdom and that people will be prepared for Messiah and you know that Zechariah is a faithful obedient man of God he heard that and he knew Gabriel is quoting the prophecies of Malachi that God not only promised to send a savior in the anointed one not only promised that Messiah would come but that he would send one before the Messiah to announce the way that he said that Elijah would come and so John in the spirit of Elijah is going to be this one who comes and prepares the way for the Lord I just can't help but think that if you hear those stories, you kind of run into John chapter 1, like 29 through 32, where you see the culmination of what John's ministry is about. As people have repented and be baptized, we have this scene, and it goes like this. John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This is he whom I've said, 
After me comes a man whose ranks before me, because he was one before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained on him. To me, part one of this unfolding is God's faithfulness, that he prepares a way, and that he makes a way for us to receive and see who Jesus is, and that he has fulfilled his promise to set this up. And it occurred, though, in the lives of real people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and that their son John would be chosen. And Jesus said of him, he's the greatest man ever born of a woman. That begins the first part of this unfolding. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph on that, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, saying, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled in saying, and tried to discuss discern what sort of greeting this might be and the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and, sh and you shall call him Jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month of her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of God, or I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Can you imagine being Mary? The angel said, I have found, God has found favor in you. She's a young child from a small town, betrothed, probably an arranged marriage. Who and what has she done? Who is her family? What makes her worth it? I know I'd feel that way. But here's the funny thing. It's not how good Mary is. It's not how good I am. And it's not how good each of y'all are. It's about how good God is. And what an amazing story that unfolds here, right? We start with just the angel coming. And like John said, do not do not be afraid, right? We all would be afraid. But then I found God has found favor in you. And then Mary asked the question, how will this happen? Which is different, right? She wasn't worried about God 
coming upon her that she's not worth it none of that's mentioned in scripture but how will this happen and here's the neat thing this is the first time that God in his wisdom says I'm going to put the Holy Spirit upon her I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit down to you this is the first time in scripture where the Holy Spirit's mentioned so I can imagine what's that mean the next thing Elizabeth is pregnant wait you did that God and you're going to do that in me each of you all have had moments in your life where God has called you and sometimes it's right here and sometimes it's nah that was just me thinking that didn't make any sense do you really think what Mary was being told made any sense I challenge each of y'all during this season during a story you've heard over and over again throughout your life or maybe for the first time that when God calls we say I am your servant I am here use me hallelujah that's it's a battle we already won and that word is just uh, it's amazing to me we, uh, you don't hear it that often anymore I know growing up I, I heard that all the time hallelujah and you'd hear somebody just shout hallelujah and, and it's standing there listening to this praising just hallelujah goes right along with the word majesty and that's what we're going to talk about in this next part of Luke is, is majesty just let that word sink in a little bit majesty this praise that we've had this morning is amazing and awesome and, and, and if you're not moved this morning by the spirit I don't know what's going on in your life but over here it's just been praise and worship and glory and majesty and the word we're about to move in into is, is, a, is a prayer by Mary we've got this great context going on with we, we've met Elizabeth and Zach figured out about John the Baptist he's, he's going to be born and Mary has now been told by the angel that she's going to have the son of God Savior. And so Mary takes this trip and, and she goes to see Elizabeth. And it's around a four day trip that she gets to, to walk to see her, her cousin Elizabeth. And assumingly, she's going to share this good news with, with her. But on this walk, she's got these four days to kind of hum a song, you know? You guys ever take a long trip? Maybe you took one over Thanksgiving, a drive, there was a song that came on the radio, just like this, the song we just sang, that, that kind of ruminated with you for a while. Maybe it was a new song that stuck in, in your mind and you just over and over and over again. Well, Mary had this very thing for four days. She had a song by somebody called Hannah. We see Hannah, she's introduced in, in, uh, in Samuel. Ham, Hannah was Samuel's mother in the Old Testament. And Hannah had very much the same problem that Mary did. 
or that Elizabeth did, that she was, she was barren. And she prays to God to have a child, and God blesses her with, uh, with Samuel as a child. And Hannah has this great um, praise song that she does, but it's more, more like a triumphal praise song. Um, and Mary's praise that we're about to read in Luke is, is very similar to Hannah's. You just got to think the context of Mary walking for four days. She has Hannah's song to ruminate, to praise over, to think over her mind. And then we, we come to this, this scripture from Mary, all right? We're in uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. Remember that word, magnify, because that's, that's kind of the theme of what Mary's doing here. And I want you to pay attention also, before I read this, pay attention to how many times that Mary says, He has. He has. And I want you to think about those two words when we read through this and think about when we continue in this morning of praise, the unfolding of, of God's majesty, of Jesus Christ, our Lord and your Savior. Think about all the He has in your life. We just finished Thanksgiving dinner with our families, moving on past that. We don't lose that thought of thanksgiving. But when we read this and we move through praise this morning, think about that he has. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant and for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Mary's saying, from humble, nothing to blessed. We all know that God doesn't call the equipped, right? He equips the, the called. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He has, amen. Can y'all say hallelujah this morning? Say it again, hallelujah. Amen. He has done all these things for us. He has. Think about that. As we move forward in our, in our praise, they're, they're going to do this song. It's called Jesus Be Magnified. As you sing that song, just, just think about Mary's words here. What has he done in your life? What has he proven to you? What has he shown you? Think about the victory, the miracles, the salvation that he's provided you, the salvation that he's offering today. The whole reason for what we're doing here, for this Christmas, this birth of Christ, this miracle, to remove something that we can't remove. Curse of sin. I'm going to tell you today what he's done on the cross. He has. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus 
that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The king has come. He is here. And he's born in the most unlikely, unpredictable in the Jew's mind way. He's come in the form of a baby. But not only that, he's, he's come in the midst of Roman rule. Like, Jesus came, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords came in the middle of, of Roman oppression for the Jews. 
But I want you to see something here because it's, it's big what Luke says. He says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the, all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. This is a real time, and it is a real place. For, for those that argue that the birth of Jesus and Jesus and all of that is just a made-up story, Luke intentionally paints the political and social scene for us so that we know that Jesus came at a real time, in a real place, because we don't have to search far and we don't have to search wide to see that, that early historians recorded exactly what it says in the book of Luke. That he came when Caesar Augustus was ruling. And what's interesting about this time is that Caesar Augustus ushered in what we call the Pax Romana, the, the time of peace among Rome. And, and it's so fitting that, that God in his providence and his sovereignty and his goodness would see, send the king of kings and the, the prince of peace in the middle of a time of peace. But he sends the king in real time and in, in, in real events. And, and then he, he, he lays the king in a manger the lowliest of places he, he gets put in a feed trough if you will the king of kings and the lord of lords gets put into a, a, a feed trough but then he does something else like this is the craziest thing the king the king that's come to, to as, as was promised to, to David, there's one coming after you whose kingdom will never end. He is that king. He's the promised one. And, and, and in fact, he's going to tell the shepherds something huge here. He goes out to the shepherds and these angels appear to them. And, and what do the angels do? That the same thing that they told Zechariah and the same thing they told Mary, fear not. Fear not, right? But look what he does. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He goes to the lowliest of people in society and in culture. The shepherds, they were stinky. They were, they were not anyone you wanted to be around. It's like, it's like a preteener, right? It's like, just, meh, not sure. Did you bathe? Not, pot, not sure that that happened, right? Or a junior high boy. I mean, in the same thing, right? But no one wants to be around them. And, and, and God comes to them, of all people, and says, hey, today for you, Yes, even you. But he says something here. He says, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's the only time in the New Testament that, that God reveals Jesus' full identity. That he's Savior, that he's Messiah, and that he's Lord. He fulfills all of those things. And God 
puts the king of kings in a manger. And then he goes to the lowliest of lowlies and said, a king's been born for you. A king has been born for you. And then the angels praise. That's their only response. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away and the shepherds are like, what just happened? Let's go find out. And they take off with, listen, with haste. Scripture says they go with haste to see this thing that has happened. And they see it and they tell Mary all the things that was told to them and she treasures them up in her heart. And then the, the, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and had been told to them. Look, the king has come. He's here. And the response is this. You know the king has come. I know the king has come. Let's not miss it this Christmas. You just got the whole story unfolded before you. Let's not miss it this Christmas. May we read and may we see that the King has come. And may we go with haste. And may we treasure in our heart. And may we tell all the world that the King has come.